welcome to Access Beauty, a very special podcast with Ulta Beauty brought to you by American Salon. Here, Ulta's creative leaders and sometimes a special guest will discuss everything from salon life to trends and products to what's impacting the industry, giving you a behind the scenes look at the beauty world. Hey everyone, my name is Kristen Heinzinger. I'm the director of content for American Salon. Today I'm joined by the lovely David Lopez, celebrity hairstylist and Ulta Beauty Pro team member. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? You can't see me, but I'm blushing from being called lovely pro team member. (laughs) (laughs) So you joined Ulta about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. We have a lot to catch up on because so much has happened in a year. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to talk about your background and kind of, you know, you had an interesting childhood. You traveled all over the world because of your father's job. And I think that's super interesting, especially from a beauty perspective and getting your eyes and hands and ears and all the culture. So if you want to tell us about that wild ride. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm from Puerto Rico and I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. And my my parents thought they wanted to live here um, in New York. And then after I was born, they were like, no, let's go back to Puerto Rico. And we were there till I was about five. And then my dad joined the military and, um, you know, didn't come for much, you know, and joined the military. We moved to Texas for about two years, which was really interesting. I was put into an ESL class. English is a second language and learned English. And then we moved to Europe and we were all over Europe for a better part of almost 10 years and um, came back to the States for high school and finished high school in Kentucky of all places. I came, I mean, I came back to the States and I had a culture shock because I'm Puerto Rican and we had a, like a, definitely like a Puerto Rican element in our house. And then living in Italy, we lived off base. So we lived in Livorno and we lived in the town and had Italian neighbors and we did, uh, road trips. I saw all of Italy. We went all over the place. We went all over Europe, Switzerland, and we went to Germany for five years and, you know, so it was it was a culture shock coming to the states, but in in my mind, it was in retrospect, it couldn't have been more perfect because Kentucky's just feels felt at the time. Tennessee and Kentucky felt very like what I envisioned America to be. You know, it was like Friday night football games and and you know very rural and you know going canoeing and all of these things. And so it was it was an interesting kind of like ride for me, just culturally from the household to leaving the front door every day. Um, and then I moved to New York City. Uh, just because I felt like I I didn't really belong anywhere else. I I didn't necessarily feel like I could have gone to college in another state. Uh, It just, it didn't feel like home, you know, because home to me felt like then and still feels like now just almost Europe or Puerto Rico. So I came to New York and initially came here to go to college uh, to be an actor, actually. (laughs) And, um, but my whole life, I was obsessed with hair. Like, I just don't remember a time that I wasn't obsessed with it and being a part of my identity. I mean, anyone that knows me knows from the time I was a kid. Like, I have just been obsessed with hair and beauty and watching my mom get her hair done. You know, the Puerto Rican community is, especially the Latin community, is really big on uh, general upkeep. I would say most most people of color, most communities of color, like are just really into hair and makeup and beauty. And um, so I was surrounded by that and kind of fearless about it, I feel like, um, when it came to experimenting with it. So I'm new to New York City and in the dorm room, I'm cutting people's hair for, for $5. I remember I would like flat iron, like my roommate's hair, she'd give me $3. And I was just like doing anything. It was just so fun for me to, to do hair. I was just, I felt so free because, 
growing up doing hair, I had something that I, I kind of didn't like about myself. And I kind of like struggled with, you know, the identity uh, surrounding it. So I was like, oh my God, I get to play with hair and people will give me $5 for it. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so of course, like your personal family life and how you grew up informed your, your idea of what beauty was. And then what were some of the other ways that just living in all these different places informed how you perceive beauty in, in different ways? I mean, I was just so exposed to every every type of hair. I mean, just from a, a Latin standpoint, we are inherently a mixed culture uh, with Black and European and and um, and Native. So, in my household, we had four people and four different types of hair. So, I saw that immediately. I I wouldn't wasn't surrounded by you know one single type of hair. And then on a military base, you have Americans from all over the country. So, I went to school with all kinds of different, you know, skin tones and hair types and, and backgrounds. And then I lived in Europe where you're exposed to kind of the beauty standards of like what a a German beauty standard is, or in Italy, what the standards of beauty were there and how women wore their hair. Um, So it was pretty well-rounding. I I definitely say I grew up with a more like worldview than most people. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized most people don't really never really had that. And I, I didn't really get that until I got older. I was like, oh, wow, that really did form how I how I digest beauty and how I also kind of um, express myself through it. Yeah, it's very unique. And you're so lucky to have had that experience. It's funny how you come to terms with those things when you're a little older and you realize all the things you hated about your childhood sometimes are the things that <laughs> right. you end up valuing later on. Um, right. So I know one of the big things for you at Ulta specifically is just getting the message out about inclusive beauty. Um, And on your Instagram, specifically your personal Instagram, it says, your bio says, here to help you feel good and de-genderizing the beauty space. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're working hard to do that every day? Well, the beauty space, um, you know, I've always loved it, but it never felt like it was for me. Um, The parts of it that I found really fun never felt like they were for me. The hair color, the extensions, the transformative part, it kind of felt very like boys were just there to get their hair cut every two weeks, just, you know, a little off the top and a two on the sides. And it just felt so boring and, and not for me. And then as I got older, I started realizing how genderizing beauty was. You know, women spent time in the salons and men's didn't. Women got highlights and men didn't. Women expressed themselves through makeup and clothing and and hair and, you know, men didn't. And we know that's not true. Obviously, we have celebrities throughout the years that have, that have not um, kind of exemplified that. But I just felt trapped in this box of beauty of like, well, we have, you know, makeup for men and then we have makeup for, I'm like, well, why does it have a gender? Like, why are we genderizing a cream that's in a bottle? Why are we genderizing a lotion? Why are we genderizing? And why are we so, why are men so kind of threatened by the idea of applying moisturizer and having a self-care, self-care routine and paying more than $7 for their haircut? Why are they so threatened by it? Um, and I wanted to really explore that and, and obviously dive deep into it. And by do, you know, I, I did that just by talking about it. Um, I started my blog, which is Groom and Calm after a really um, pivotal experience in my career. And I really just dove into it. And then once I kind of, kind of dipped my toes into it, I, I realized how many men from 
different sexualities and how and male identifying people really were like oh someone's talking about it or like I don't feel the shame of wanting to talk about it or I don't feel threatened by it. and I view women as so strong and I've I've been lifted up by women my entire life and their routines I'm like well that, that they get their some of their courage from these routines and they get their 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 bounce in their step from their blowouts I'm like I want to feel that so um, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to kind of bring it together and really amplify it in such a loud way clearly as I'm doing now I really go over the top with it but just to kind of prove a point a little bit too yeah and it's amazing I mean your Instagram itself is like a vat of a useful information and b just beautiful amazing content not to overplay the word thank you there's specifically a video that I saw you posted around Father's Day where you were teaching your dad about just a really simple skincare routine but like you said, there's such this barrier between men and just self-care and skincare and makeup. And it was adorable. But what has that experience been like with like your family and your dad and just kind of, you know, using your expertise in a personal level? Well, it's interesting because the Latin culture um, for men don't really have many holdups about taking care of yourself or grooming. Um, my grandfather has always told me, I mean, my grandfather's always getting nice haircuts, always had nice hair products, you know, um, always steamed his clothes, always put moisturizer on, you know, things like that. I think it was just more eye opening of like them feel their barrier was like them feeling the products were marketed towards women. So it must not be for me because every product is like pink or like, you know, it does, it just is not quite marketable towards men, which then, you know, now we have take the same product and put it in a great bottle and it's for men. But um, so I never really had that. But I think for my dad, I think for him, it kind of sometimes they tie a sexuality to that and me coming out as gay kind of like sometimes you do tie a sexuality to that. I think it can be threatening for people who don't know much about it. Uh, but my dad is so open-minded and so incredible and he he wants to feel good and he wants to feel young and fresh and he wants that information. And I don't think that anyone's really speaking to that guy. I think there's a lot of things thrown at that guy. There's a lot of, you know, body washes that are a, a seven in one body wash. And they're like, well, I guess this is what's made for me. This is all I need because no one's really speaking to them. No one's really speaking to them wanting to explore that side of themselves. So my dad was really open to it and it was, it was such a fun experience and he's still using it to this day. He's still using those products (laughs) and purchasing them. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun journey and a fun ride. My dad is, is such an incredible support. And I think most men in the Latin community are really open to grooming and expressing themselves through, through self-care. Yeah, for sure. Um, Some of the looks that you've created are on yourself specifically are just these super fierce makeup looks and, like you really get into it with the color and even the hair. I don't know if they're wigs or extensions, which is, I think, a compliment because I can't tell. <laughs> right. Um, but do you remember like the first time you dabbled in makeup and you like bought, you know, maybe like an like an eyeshadow palette or like a contouring palette and you were just went, you know, started getting into that? Yeah. I Well, I did theater for a long time. I did repertory theater, community theater. I moved to New York. I was doing theater. So you're always kind of put into makeup for acting already. So you kind of dabble with that in that. So I dabbled in makeup for like concealer, you know, and eyebrow stuff for a really long time. But it wasn't until I think I started working a lot with um, some of my clients that really love beauty. Ashley Graham, Haley Bieber, they love makeup. Um, and they're really excited. They get really excited about it. And then I work with these makeup artists like Katie Jane Hughes, um, Ash Cone, like they're working on some of the 
the top people and I get to work with them and they have such deep passion for makeup and it's just so fun and tangible and topical. Um, I love how expressive it is. I find that people are just so really, it's, it's a really playful space right now where it's like really breaking down barriers and, you know, there's a really interesting fact like Revlon brought up to me that was like pretty much about how um, uh, during some of the world wars, like lipstick sales, like actually never went down. You know, that's like the one thing that people hold on to is like, oh, I just need like a good lipstick. It just brings so much confidence. So I started dabbling with it and I just started playing with it. And the first thing I ever did was actually around pride. I think three years ago was the first time I ever did a look um, with products that I believe was it urban decay sent me. Yeah. And I put on a face of makeup for pride. I did this like gay mermaid look. I don't even know what you can consider it, but I was so scared posting it on Instagram. I was like shaking. I was like, this is so scary. Like people are going to see this and like, is this embarrassing? Is it horrible? Like, I don't know, but it, it was so fun to do. Um, that was three years ago. And ever since then I worked again, I work with some of the best of the best in the industry and, I, and YouTube is also an incredible resource. And I have learned a lot and I, I definitely have upped my skills through a lot of practice for sure. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to me to think that you were scared to post it because now it's just like these amazing, amazing pictures all the time, which I, it's just so inspiring and like creative <laughs> and <laughs> a little practice, a little practice goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of wanted to backtrack a little bit because you kind of skirted over the fact that you were in theater and wanted to be an actor, which we need to get more into. Um, and then you kind of t talked a little bit about Groom and Comb. So first, let's go back into, you know, your your initial passion, which was acting and film and theater. How did that mm -hmm. segue into beauty? What happened there? Um, well, I came to New York um, even though I grew up all over the world, it was still a pretty sheltered life. You know, you're on a military bases, you're in Europe, you're kind of living this weird fantasy life. So I never knew that people paid for medicine. I didn't know people paid for, to see a doctor. I didn't know people paid for utilities. I didn't know people paid rent. I didn't know any of this. So I moved to New York City and I pretty much just got dropped off at the front door. I was like, bye, have fun. Because my dad at the time was um, in Afghanistan and Iraq and completely, you know, we couldn't talk to him for months at a time. And my parents were getting divorced at the same time. Uh, so my mom was going through her own things and, you know, I'm on my own. So I was kind of like, all right, I got to figure this out. So I'm in New York City. I'm going to school. And, um, you know, through I had a personal awakening. And New York City is a place that you're going to be shaken to your core. You know, it, it kind of strips you down. And I going into my junior year of college, you know, I told you I was I was doing everyone's time in the dorms. And at this point, I was bartending after school and waiting tables and I was doing everyone's hair. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is not sustainable. I don't know that I really want to be involved in this. I, I just need to figure things out. So I decided to pause school, dropped out junior year. And I was like, I can always come back to this. And I was like, well, if I'm still going to do this, I can still do hair. And I was like, hair will allow me to make my own schedule. LOL. Had no idea. Um, <laughs> hair will allow me to make my own schedule and I will do something that I really like and still pursue acting. But you know, I was going to be school and after school, I would working, working at Express retail, folding clothes until 10. And then I'd bartend till three or four in the morning and, you know, walk home because I was sleeping on a friend's couch. I, hell, I couldn't afford uh, an apartment at the time. So I was just sleeping on a friend's couch, um, walk home 50 blocks and do the same thing all over again every day. And it was horrible. It was just horrible. But the high, even though no matter how tired I was, the highlight of my day was being in school. I loved beauty school. It was like playtime for eight hours. And I just absolutely loved it. I got through beauty school by the skin of my teeth, just schedule as I was so exhausted. 
And as I'm getting out of B school, I had a manager at um, Express that ended up becoming a manager at Cutler, which is a Red Ken salon here in New York City. And they are like a hot, very high-end salon. It's my first introduction to a compartmentalized salon, my first introduction to celebrity styling, to fashion week. And she was like, we need people to work the front desk. And I was still in school at the time, so I couldn't be on, I couldn't assist, but I was like, okay, well, that's great. At least I don't have to bartend and I don't have to, you know, fold clothes after school. Um, so I would go there and I would go, I, school's over at 2.30 and I would go there and I would close. And I was obsessed with the salon atmosphere. I was just in my element. I was at the front desk. I answered that phone like nobody's business. We used to have to say from runway to reality, this is Cutler Salon. And I had an alternate name because there was already a David there. So my name was Isaac. And everyone from that salon still calls me Isaac, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I'd say, this is Isaac. How I help you? And it was awesome. We had celebrities coming in. Um, the owner, Rodney Cutler, did Fashion Week. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I got to learn about the business side of the salon. Like, I, I helped the managers, you know, do the orders. And, like, I learned about the, the you know, cleaning people and everything. I just, I was obsessed with it. Um, and after I uh, graduated school, I started assisting there. And I was a really strong stylist from the get. Like in beauty school, I was the easiest thing in the world for me. I pretty much could do already everything. There was nothing that I didn't know how to do already. It was crazy. So I started assisting. I was a really strong stylist. I picked up everything really quickly. And I, I, keep in mind, the dexterity was already there. I had been blow drying hair, my mom's hair, who has like type 3C curly hair since I was 12. So <laughs> it was there. And so I'm assisting in the salon and Rodney one day, you're supposed to assist. The assistant program is about two years there. It was like going to graduate school. And the last step before you finished, you know, your assistant, your apprenticeship, you assist Rodney for six months. And I was in my first month and Rodney saw me finishing a client and he loved it. And he was like, this guy's really good. And he pulled me aside in the middle of the floor, switched me and I started assisting him. And it was a wild ride because I got thrust into it. And especially this is like, what, 17 years ago. Oh my God. I just like got nauseous saying that. It was like 16 years ago, maybe at this point, it was a different time. So there was not as much like a, no one was like really paying attention to, are you taking a break? Are you like um, being paid properly? Are you being treated well? Do you have help like at all? So I was like carrying suitcases, carrying scissors, crossing names off a list at fashion week. But I was just, again, it was like my heaven. I was at fashion week. I, I was at fashion week. And I was assisting someone that was doing, you know, what, like 30 shows a season. And I was at every single one. And I was able to be there, like holding clips, combs, be around the models. It was just an incredible experience. And then from there, I decided that the salon wasn't for me. Um, I didn't see myself kind of being behind the chair full time. And that's the path that I was on. So I had to pivot. And I left. And it was was a hard decision to make. slash not because you know for two years i made 200 dollars a week and i was sleeping on couches it was it was you know on a personal level kind of horrible but on a professional level really a lot big learning experience um so i decided to go into management i was good at it i liked managing people i liked being in the salon so i went to devishan and i was at devishan uh for about three years and this is before they had an education uh, program curriculum and i worked with lorraine to develop the curriculum and I love Diva Curl. I read Curly Girl, which is her book that created the Curly Girl method when I was in high school. And I became obsessed with the culture and being there. But at the same time, I was still trying to do 
what I do now. I was what's called testing. So you shoot with photographers for free in return for images. And I hustled. I hustled my little booty off in New York City, managing a salon, doing photo shoots on the weekends, being nice to everyone. And because of my acting experience, this is where the segues into what came next for me. I got approached with from a, a brand to do videos for them. And I was good on camera because I had acting experience. And so I helped launch a brand and I'm in all their videos <laughs> from the get-go. And that created a name for myself. That became my niche. That became my thing was beautiful hair that's touchable and gorgeous and looks like it's photoshopped in real life and also can be in front of the camera and speak with ease and can communicate effectively and kindly and with personality. And that became my brand so quickly and within a couple of years uh, within six months of leaving Divashan, I had an agent and I went from there you know from being homeless and being in a studio with mice I mean the, the end of my my fridge wouldn't even open like my fridge would hit the end of my bed in this studio that was like it had mice it was just it was rough I mean it was I I really only I don't I think I had I really love what I do there was no other way that I could have survived the hustle that it was, honestly, living in New York City. With, I had zero help. I had no one helping me financially or anything. So it was, it, was, it was an incredible ride, but I'm so happy where it ended up. Yeah, for sure. Here we are, right? I'm sure your fridge isn't hitting your bed anymore, I hope. No, no. Now I have two floors and two bathrooms, so I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I wanted to talk also about Groom & Comb. Obviously, that fits in probably between this, the getting the agent and Ulta knocking on the door. How did that come about from idea to fruition? Yeah, it's, um, I always wanted, I was always really curious about the influencer space when it started really kind of blowing up about four years ago. That I wasn't sure exactly what it, I knew there was a space for me. I just wasn't sure really what it was. And I wasn't sure, and my agents at the time, like not really knowing how Instagram was going to work, they wanted me to have a separate account for my hair account, which is still there, David Lopez hair. And they thought that, you know, the personal one should be separate. I was kind of like, no, I feel like I could have both. I could exist simultaneously. So I went through that journey. And then I, I always loved doing television. I've done many television things and I've been a host on QVC and HSN and I still do Q, this is my seventh year at QVC. And it's, it's such a fun, television is such a fun medium for me and I really enjoy it. Um, I've been on cast on so many pilots that never went anywhere. Um, and so I, I, I had met with the creators of Queer Eye um, like seven years ago. Oh God knows, it sort of been like 10, 11 years ago. They were, it was for a different show. And, and I remember sitting in the office and, and he was like, you know, you could do this. Like you're made for this if you just work on X, Y, and Z. Hence, you know, I had, great, had, I had a great on, um, on camera career after that, building up a, uh, um, a reel and I got brought up in, I got brought in for the re, for the reboot and I was in many months and many rounds of casting and uh, screen testing. And I, in my heart, in my soul, I was like, this is what I worked my whole career for. This was made for me. This is what I, I built my life around this opportunity. I really had. And so by the time we got down to the final few of us, we all flew out to LA to film uh, more screen tests and do the casting. And um, needless to say, it was, you know, there was three of us left uh, in the hair category. And obviously Jonathan uh, was cast, which is so great for him. He's so lovely. Uh, but it was for me on a professional level, incredibly devastating. I don't even mince words when it comes to that. It was very much like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't really enjoy, like, fully enjoy my career 
as it stands. So what the, sorry for my language, what the hell am I going to do? Like that was like soul crushing, professional, professionally devastating. And I was like, you know what? This is such an interesting, I got some really great feedback from Netflix and the production company gave me some great feedback about my personality on camera. And um, I was like, right, I'm not being myself. I'm giving people this like HSN QVC version of me that is not real. Like, I'm not, that's not me. Like, this is me. The person you guys see on Instagram, now that's me, but he was hiding because he thought that he couldn't exist simultaneously with being professional. So I started Grooming Comb as really an outlet for me to put all the information that I know that I care about on the internet um, in a way that is palatable, interesting to read and easy to digest and kind of takes the guessing work out of it. I've worked with editors for so many, for so many years now because of the brands that I work with. And you know, I mean, editors are like, hey, can you give us three hats for a ponytail? And I write the whole thing out. And I'm like, that could have been a blog post for myself. And I enjoy it. So I just started to incorporate that into my own website, which then obviously then kind of segued itself into my Instagram. And again, into the three years ago, to wrap it all up, putting on makeup for the first time and it terrifying and it's become what it is now. So it was all born out of that really kind of professionally devastating experience was born a, a, a whole new journey and chapter for my career and my life. So it's a little bit like, no thanks, but thanks, Queer Eye. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm still a little bit like, darn. But um, at the same time, yeah, I, it, I'm so grateful for the experience because it forever changed me in the most positive way that I don't think um, I would have ever been uh, changed by anything else really in this capacity. Amazing. And it really has turned into, I mean, I'm not saying this lightly, but a social media movement. And one of the things that I personally admire um, about you a lot is that you, I mean, social media is pretty ruthless, right? People just hide behind a screen and can say what they want and they don't think twice how it's going to hurt somebody on the other side. And some of the feedback that you get on these looks that you post are not the nicest, but you also outwardly say like 50% of you were like amazingly supportive and 50% of you like personally attacked me and that's okay, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, there's this, it takes a lot to be able to do that. Um, yeah. How do you like, how do you do that? That's just for lack of a better question. How do you come to terms with like, your outward image and just owning it and like moving forward. Cause I think that's something everybody can benefit from. Learning. Um, first of all, I'm obsessed with your cat. Second of all, um, <laughs> oh <my God>. I, <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. Um, I've actually gotten this question before and it's something that I actually am so passionate about speaking about because when you work on yourself, and you work on your confidence in a very real, deep, and meaningful way, you're not shaken by those comments. When you have the confidence that is real, I'm not shaken by people saying that I they look I they like me better without makeup. I'm not shaken by someone saying that they it doesn't affect me anymore. It did. It used to. I used to be, oh my God, that's so mean. Because in my mind, I thought maybe there was some truth to it. But the more that I've developed, and it's like anything else in your life, the more that it's a muscle you develop, the more you practice confidence, the more real it becomes. The more you expose yourself to things that you're fearful of socially, the, the stronger you become and the better able you are to really handle those experiences with grace and dignity and kindness in, in, in times of adversity and in times of people they don't want to reciprocate that kindness to you. And 
it's it's a boomerang effect. Anytime, anytime, even the times that I thought that I was I was offended or that it saddened me or angered me or hurt me, even in those times, I never retaliated ever, ever, ever with anger or 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 like attack. I might have been a little pointed at times, but I, I've never retaliated in a way that was like nasty or stooping to their level. If you want to simplify it, I've always responded with kindness. Or like I, when someone did a Facebook Live uh, for self magazine and there was a comment from a woman who commented and said he's so boring i want to die and i was like that is so ridiculous and i was like <laughs> at first i was like oh my god was i that boring and then i was like and then i went on her facebook she was looks so lovely she had two kids and she's talking about diy projects and macrame i was like there is no way this person who was putting all this kindness would ever say this to my face so i i commented and i said hey i'm just checking are you still alive because i didn't want to make sure i didn't bore you to death and i you know injected some humor into it and she ended up sending me this really amazing email and she was like you know you cut an opportunity to be really nasty to me and you didn't and um, I'm really sorry. Like, obviously, I was just typing in, I really thinking that. And I've had, I've had a couple experiences like that where I responded to people in kindness, and they have messaged me privately after and, and deleted their comment and responded to me after, and they said, "I'm so sorry that I don't know why I said that, and thank you so much for not being mean to me back or like being open minded or or listening to me." Um, and so that's that's you know that's my advice. Like, over, it's it's hard because it's it's a very personal thing. But you know, the more you practice kindness, the more you practice. Um, uh, breaking down your ego and really re- understanding and realizing when someone says something mean and it hurts you, why is it hurting you? Like truly, why is it hurting you? Why are those words affecting you? The less it will truly affect you and the more brave you are to communicate yourself and really show off your, your true authentic self to the world. A thousand percent. And I think the kindness element also kind of ties into just the whole idea of inclusive beauty and there's a place for everybody to participate and find their own beauty in this world. And now that you're with Ulta and you've been with Ulta for about a year, I want to talk about how you're using that platform and, you know, it's such a large network and such a large company. How are you using leveraging the Ulta platform to talk more about inclusivity in the beauty industry and especially the professional beauty industry? Yeah, I mean, Ulta Beauty, all things beauty, all in one place. I mean, it goes without saying, you know, it's like, it is truly everything that I love about the industry. There's a salon in there, there's skincare, there's makeup, there's accessories, there's uh, caboodles, you know, there's literally (laughs) everything in there. And I, when I was approached by Ulta, I, I made it a point to say, yes, like I understand, like from a hair perspective, I am a professional hairstylist working at a certain level that people aspire to, but I'm in a place in my career that is really diving deeper into that and also going beyond that about what I do for a living is make people feel good. And Ulta is a perfect partnership for me for that because it's a full store of anything that you could find that will give you a little bit more confidence and a little bit more happiness. So the professional element is perfect for me because being a part of the pro team, I'm, a, I'm alongside some of the top talent in the professional industry that's really elevating the salon experience at Ulta, really making a place one to want to work at, but two also have the most incredible salon experience and guest experience at and have top tier education. But then for me, alongside that, I'm aligned with a brand and a store that is allowing me a space to educate people in all the ways that that they can feel good, not just with their hair, but from makeup, skincare, um, an accessory, a hair accessory, everything in one place. So it's been a really awesome 
partnership and an opportunity because it just fits right into my personal ethos, my personal brand ethos and my personal life motto of wanting a place where you can find something that just gives you a little more confidence and makes you feel good. Yeah, for sure. Which is, I mean, something we all need every day. <laughs> Maybe I'm just myself <laughs> oh no we all do yeah uh, no I, I i say this a lot and I, I say this pretty much on every time i finish a video with this you know i say this i say these words from experience i the i live by these words i am ex i am a fully formed human being because of these words i know that our self-care routines our salons our hairstylists our estheticians our own routines and a place like ulta where we find things that make us feel good they develop confidence they make us feel good and when you feel good and you have confidence in yourself you feel good and you have confidence in others and when you have that energy you're better able to communicate your own thoughts your own ideas and your own feelings in a way that is authentic and kind um and from a place of gratitude and and i really believe in the 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 ripple effect of having a self-care routine 100 absolutely um, the whole point of this podcast is specifically is about how beauty is so much more than what's on the outside. So I feel like that encapsulates the entire message perfectly um, in your few words that you said. So thank you for those wise, those wise, of course, wise a little sound bite for the preview. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for joining us today, David. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and you are such a gem in this industry and we're so happy we were able to chat with you about your personal life your professional life and the journey it's something that we can all benefit from hearing i think thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it